just like the advent of language or of agriculture or of the formation of states or the industrial revolution, just as formative and transformative to the human experience was the revelation of love as a founding idea or principle as the way that we go about being human. It might not sound like it because we're so accustomed and habituated to hearing about love all the time, but it is transformative, probably the most transformative idea and principle in the way that we strive to live as human beings. And we can't just take that for granted. That it's not just a given that love will always be and has always been that founding principle and idea of how we go about relationships and living in the world. Because even today, there are parts of the world where it's not the case. If you go to many parts of India today, their caste system still reigns supreme, where by nature of the caste that you are born into, that determines your future. That just by where you are born, you can be considered untouchable and less than a human being just because of the class that you were born into. Or if you go to China today, the primary idea and principle that their culture is founded on is not love, it's honor. And if you do anything or say anything to dishonor yourself, or more importantly, your family, sometimes that's punishable by death. Or we can just look at what's going on in the Middle East and the fighting over borders and how far people will push to get what they believe is rightfully theirs in terms of land. It's not a given that love is a founding principle of the society that we live in and the world that we try to create. Which is why it kind of annoys me personally when I hear people make comments like, well, it's 2023, why are those things still happening? Because when people say that, usually they're not taking into account how much and what and who made making that comment possible. The reason that we could say something like, it's 2023, why do those things still happen? Is because we have a collective understanding that love is a founding principle of how we strive to go about. And that didn't happen overnight, and it won't remain unless it's founded on the right thing. It is a gift to us that love is at the heart of how we go about our society. Because as believers in God, what we can ask in how we go about our life is how are we supposed to interact with the divine? Right? Set aside your whole Christian upbringing for a second. How are human beings who believe that God exists intended to interact with the divine? Well, maybe we just say God is unknowable. There's no way for us to interact with him. He'll be up in heaven somewhere out there and we'll be down here and we'll just kind of both run our parallel lives. Some people choose that. If you go to the Old Testament and what we hear in the Old Testament, the primary way that they interacted with God was through offering sacrifice, which in some religions today is, the same, is still the way that they interact with the divine, is I take something that is mine and I offer it up in sacrifice to the God that I believe in, making this exchange and this contract that if I do this for you, you'll do things for me. 
Or maybe, as it's probably more predominantly done today, the way that I interact with the divine is I come to some subjective personal understanding of who God is, and that's what I'll wrestle with and grapple with is who I understand God to be. How do we interact with the divine? As Christians, when we say that God is love, that is significant. Because what it's saying is that the first approach to God as Christians is not fidelity, it's not discipline, it's not submission to the all-divine creator of the universe, it's not trusting God, it's love. And the reason that this is so significant is that each one of those things I just mentioned, submission and fidelity and discipline and trust, can be one-directional that God imposes all of this on us. You have to have discipline, you have to be faithful, you have to submit, that's your job. But love is not. Love goes in both directions. When God reveals himself as love to the world, what he is saying by that revelation is, I want to communicate myself to you and I want you to communicate back to me. It's reciprocal. Love means that our interaction with the divine can be reciprocal, that it's not one direction. And that is only true in the Christian understanding of God. Only in Christianity, through the revelation of God as love, through Jesus Christ, do we have an understanding that it is even possible to communicate with God in both directions. Knowing God as love is the essential piece to make that even possible in the way that we go about being believers in God. And as Christians, in this we know love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us first, and that he sent his Son as the forgiveness of our sins, and he has given to us a gift of his Spirit. Right, what we profess to believe as Christians is that when we are baptized, we receive a gift of God's Spirit within our soul, which is a very concrete act of love. Because for us, love as Christians is a gift of self for the good of another. That it's the willingness to sacrifice for another person. Love for a Christian is the willingness to receive another as a gift regardless of the circumstances. Love is the willingness to make room for another in my life, willingly taking away some things that I want, I desire, to make room for the other in my own life. Love is the acknowledgement that we have the same origin of dignity, that we have the same starting point, which means that for a Christian, tolerance is not a virtue. Tolerance is the idea that if you do your thing over there and I do my thing over here, we'll just allow those two things to coexist. That's not love. Love communicates. Love is reciprocal. Love doesn't isolate. Love binds and brings together. And so if we want to profess love, we have to say tolerance isn't good enough. Love is infinitely greater than tolerance. And in Christianity... Love is our founding principle because God is love and today he gives that 
back to us. Because God can only ask from us what he has already given to us. And so he has given us his love through the gift of his son and his spirit. Therefore, today Jesus can say that the greatest commandment for a Christian is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's simply asking us to return back to the Father what he has first given to us. Which, if we pause and think long enough, is exceedingly terrifying. Because what we're at being asked for as Christians is to return to God and our neighbor as ourself is the very same love that God has revealed to the world. And if we take that for what it's actually worth, it should scare us. It should terrify us of the magnitude of what we are being asked to bring into the world by God's grace. Because when we hear Jesus talk elsewhere in the gospel about come you and inherit the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love. And the disciples ask, how are we going to know that we inherit the kingdom of God? He said, well, when I was hungry or thirsty and naked and in prison or sick, you cared for me. That's how you will know. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that for us as Christians, the hungry and the thirsty, that the poor that are around us, the destitute, and even those that are looking for a free ride off of society, we love them. It means that the stranger, the people that are, who are incomprehensible to us, either in the way that they think, speak, or act, the ones that are odd and are really difficult to be around for any length of period of time, or the completely broken of spirit or in body, we love them. It means that those that are naked, the sex worker, the adulterer, the ones who have no shame, we love them. It means that the sick, the willingness to be with the dying through every step of their journey, the ones who are a little bit smelly around us and the contagious, we love them. And the ones in prison, the betrayer, the liar, and the ones that are morally bankrupt, we love them. Because the love that we believe in as Christians is a love that conquers sin and death. That's what we profess to believe when we profess the cross. Is the love that we have come to know as Christians is a love that is stronger than sin and death, which are the things that isolate and separate and divide human beings. Because love communicates and binds and brings together. This is the magnitude of the love that we are professing. This is why when we hear love professed in the world, they have no idea what they're talking about. As I mentioned last Sunday, love separated from God doesn't make any sense because it's completely self-referential. The love we believe in as Christians is tied to the cross. And the cross conquers sin and death. And it's this love that we are called to love God with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength and our neighbor as ourself. That's the love with which we are called to live this great commandment, which is no small thing. Now, today, I'm mostly just talking to you about ideas. 
which is something that I almost always try to avoid when I preach, because if I don't make an idea concrete, it's usually when I lose all of you and I can see you start to doze and look to the skies. But there's a reason for it today. Everybody knows you can't tell somebody how to love and who to love. All you can do is lead them to the experience of love and help them to be open to receiving. When it comes to knowing the love of God in your life and striving to love God in return and your neighbor as yourself, I can't tell you how to do that. I can't tell you what that experience is. As your pastor, all I can do is hope to help lead you and guide you there, which is one of the reasons why our prayer as Christians is so important to our life. Because only by meditating on the life of Jesus can we start to understand what this love is. Otherwise, we'll let it become watered down to what the world has made it. Because only by meditating on the life of Christ and the things that he said, the things that he did, these start to reveal to us the experience and the magnitude of what God's love actually is. If we never turn to the life of Jesus to meditate on what that means and who he is, then we'll never really understand what this great commandment means. Love will be kind of relegated to niceness, some kindness from time to time, but it won't have much sacrifice, and it won't have an answer to conflict, and it won't have an answer for the need for reconciliation. That only comes in a love that is stronger than sin and death. And so, with this great commandment that we are called to take up as Christians, know that in this, we know love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us first. And that he sent his son for the expiation of our sins and has given himself to us through his spirit as a gift.